with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay. It's After 9. I'm Eric Allen here. Whoops. Welcome to After 9. It's uh, Eric Allen here this morning, and my guest today is Patrick Oliver. He's the fundraising chairperson for the David Douglas Botanical Garden Society at UNBC. And he's going to take us through basically, you know, what's happened with the botanical gardens to this point. And then there's a couple other phases coming on, phase two and phase three. They'll be looking for money to get that going, kind of get an indication of where they hope to get it from, governments and other sources. And also to explain what the uh, garden is all about. I was up there yesterday. I've been there before, but I had a closer look yesterday. And uh, just what's there now is is kind of nice. It's relaxing. Birds are chirping. Water's running down the waterfalls or something. And, and I think, you know, you can only improve on that and get better as they go forward. And it's something that the whole city should be behind. Um, and I, I think over time we'll have to push the city a little bit. Uh, and not just City Hall, but I mean, people living here to get up there, get a look around, uh, see what's there. Beautiful uh, view of the city from there. And uh, maybe we, we're just going to have to dig in and support some of these things a little bit more. And I'll get into why we need to do that a little later. But right now... Uh, I'll turn it over to Patrick, and he can give us an overview of what's going on. Well, thanks very much, Eric. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity, and thanks for the invitation to, to come in and, and, and talk about the Botanical Garden. Um, our Phase 1 is almost complete, and Phase 1 is the uh, educational display garden, which you talked about, uh, at the, at, between the two parking lots at the front of the university. But the plan is to expand to uh, um, a 23-acre uh, plot um, of land just across from the Charles Jago Sports Center between that and the, and the uh, daycare, university daycare. Um, that's a challenging piece of land that we have to, have to deal with, but we've come up uh, with uh, a... Um, a master plan uh, for the for the design of that uh, that garden and how we would uh, try to tackle it. Challenging site because it's uh, the, the the upper end of it is is predominantly um, overburdened from the universities when it was first cleared in the early 1990s, and that's not particularly great material um, to be building on. But we'll cut and fill some of that and push it out into in, into the into the uh, into the garden. Uh, and then the other part of it is the lower reaches, uh, Shane Creek, which is uh, comes out of Shane Lake uh, at the top. There runs through there, so it's a perennial stream that runs through the garden. Uh, but it it uh, it is a it is a marshy area, so there's there's there's, there's that to deal with. The garden itself, uh, or the plans for the garden are uh, broken out into phases um, and some of those phases into sub-phases uh, on the basis that uh, we won't um, invest any any or start construction on any any part of the of the garden until we actually have the money in hand and that's the uh, the feasible way to do it I think 
we are partnered with UMBC um, in the in the development of the garden. Uh, we have a license to occupy that land from the university uh, for the purposes of running a garden, a botanical garden. So this is uh, an area where we we work closely together. Um, although the, all the fundraising is ours, and and all the activities is is uh, is the society's job mm-hmm. to do. Uh, university has other priorities, obviously students and and research and that kind of stuff. So uh, uh, that's understandable. But we work closely with them. We, we're working very closely with their, um, their capital projects group, um, so that we can maintain. Uh, continuity in terms of building styles and construction styles, for you know, because we have uh, in the plans a, a, a visitor center, and that needs to fit in with the university and not be too different. Um, so recently, uh, we've had uh, we were successful in in raising some funding from uh, the, the provincial government. Um, uh, a program by the name of SERP is, is uh, a COVID economic recovery program uh, specifically focused on uh, uh, destination development, so more tourism-based um, funding. And uh, that's allowed us to to get a jump start on, the, on, on building uh, the garden. So the first phase that we're tackling is, uh, is to develop a small visitor center, not the visitor center that we envision in our master plan. Our, our master plan envisions a, a visitor center of 3,300 square feet. And, uh, but that's, that, that, that's a, with, with construction costs these days, it's a, it's a pretty high, high number. Um, so we're going to have a, a smaller, uh, visitor parking visitor center with some parking outside and then we're going to develop the first phase of the garden so living up here in prince george our focus is going to be on ornamental gardens first but a botanical garden is bigger than just ornamental gardens there's this this component for research there's a component for um other recreational activities uh, uh in 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 the garden and uh so you know so these are these are areas that we break into these phases and and then say, okay, well, let's tackle this one now, and then we tackle that one later. Part of our designs um, involve uh, uh, there'll be a maze um, because we want people to come to the garden. So we want to make it a destination, um, and you know, so that families and and uh, visitors from all around the world could could come to a place there will be a fee for 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 entry to the garden that's part of our plan in terms of ongoing sustainable revenues um, and if we ultimately when we have a visitor center um, we would have uh, um, facilities there for small conferences weddings um, etc you know little functions uh, that can be there because if you look into the detail of the master design, you see a whole bunch of little features in it. Um, you know, there's a there's a small amphitheater, so we could perhaps have some kind of um, musical or other entertainment going on uh, in in the garden. But these these things are all predicated on 
having a garden in the first place. And so our first challenge is really just to build the thing. So it's capital funds that we're after right now. Um, in our fundraising campaigns, we, um, we're, we're working with uh, some of the larger uh, corporate uh, entities right now to see if, if we can establish an interest in some of the bigger uh, funding op- naming opportunities, shall we call them. Or um, we can uh, we can break it down into smaller chunks where uh, individuals will come up and contribute, um, you know, smaller amounts. So on, if, if if you go to our website, um, uh, there's a donations page there, and uh, there's three different ways to donate to the to the garden. Um, obviously, our focus is on the capital side, as I said. Uh, but there's there's the ongoing maintenance. Uh, that education display garden, as it stands up there right now, phase one, is um, is not over yet. I mean, substantially, it's built, and there are a bunch of features in there, which, uh, thanks to uh, uh, corporate and 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 private donations over the years, have have we've we've been able to 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 build that. But it's maintained 100% by volunteer labor. So members from the society come out every year, turn up dutifully to do on work bees and things like that to to um, um, maintain that garden. Sometimes it's challenging. Yeah. I just got to say kudos to uh, the volunteers and people go out there and do that because uh, there's a lot of work been done there. Yeah, they're definitely... Uh, um, we do track it. I don't have the number, but it, but there are literally hundreds of thousands of hours have gone in in, in volunteer time. Um, so yeah, the second way of giving, of course, is to is to um, donate to those ongoing volunteer activities, and then in the third way, we just recently established a. Uh, an endowment fund through the Prince George Community Foundation. The idea behind that is to look into the future, build a fund that can help with our ongoing annual costs. Because uh, it's it you know our, our our operating plans or operating budgets into the future um, are quite challenging. Um, but as I said, if we we would be charging a fee for entry. Um, there are these opportunities to raise money by leasing out some of the assets or um, and uh, but there's still you know uh, an ongoing need but and this presents for us a challenge in fundraising because uh, you know if we're we're asking for significant dollars from somebody the one of the first questions always is how do you manage to sustain that that operation yeah, yeah. and uh and it's a fair question because ultimately we're a volunteer-based society at the moment, but we need to move to a professionally managed operation uh, with some horticultural uh, expertise in there. So part of the plan there is to have a, uh, a qualified professional running the garden. Yeah. I just uh, off the top of my head, I was wondering, like, <clears throat> Excuse me. One of the problems with Prince George is we have these, a lot of these uh, sports facilities and you know soccer, swimming pools. Swimming pools aren't bad; you can use them year round. But the rest of them, you're lucky if you get two months 
use out of them in a year, three or four max. But a building, you know, the facility cost us the same as it does in Vancouver and maybe more, but we could only use it for three or four months. Whereas down there, they could use it year-round. I mean, it's a whole different dynamic that we don't get into too much. So the question I was going to ask you there is, is there anything in that garden that would be operating during the winter months? Absolutely. Uh, the plan is to have it as as a 12 months a year, all seasons uh, op- operation. Um, obviously, a visitor center kind of creates the hub around which that can be built. So, but you know, we're 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 in a challenging climatic zone. Um, you know, we're that's that's a zone three area up at the top of the hill. Um, there are not many zone three areas, uh, botanical gardens in zone three areas. In fact, I think we're probably the most northern of the botanical gardens in Canada. I think there's one of us, one in Alaska uh, that that may be a bit further north than us, but. Uh, you know, so it's a challenging environment to grow stuff and then obviously to operate um, uh, over these because it's a short window for that part of the garden that says, okay, the flowers are all blooming and the leaves are green and all that kind of stuff. But their nature is is a 20, 24, 365 uh, event. So we, we plan to feature some of that stuff. We will probably be using um, about a lot of lighting in the in, in the winter months in order to to showcase various features but it's absolutely doable um, you know with uh, we, we, with uh, our pathways and and uh, links to trails and things like that it'll, it'll be a it'll be something that to um, Look forward to in the winter. I mean, it's certainly Christmas time and yeah. those kind of things. It would, uh, um, you know, even at minus forty, I, you know, you might have some brave souls venturing out. <laughs> Won't see any flowers. Okay, we're going to have to take a break now, and we'll be back in a few seconds. Thank you. Throughout your life, the information you need to thrive and survive continually changes. Tune in to 93.1 CFIS-FM, Tuesday afternoons at 1 for Senior Moments. Each week, Sharon Hurd and AJ will talk with the movers and the shakers in our community to keep you in the loop with the information you need from the people who know it best. Sponsored by Riverbend Manor, Tuesday afternoons at 1 with a rebroadcast, Tuesday nights at 9, Senior Moments. Only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. In Prince George, DDR2 Computer Solutions is your first stop for sales, service, and repairs. Located just off Queensway at 857 2nd Avenue next to MetaChair, DDR2 can keep your business or home system running at peak performance. Their in-shop and on-site rates are competitive, so you receive quality service at an affordable price. Plus, there's a special rate for seniors. They also carry top-of-the-line laptops, motherboards, and graphics cards for high-end gaming. When you think of computers, think of DDR2. Call 236-423-2216. That's 236 236- 423-2216. Two Rivers Art Gallery is excited to announce BMO Community Art Days, formerly Kids Art Days. The rebranded event will be Friday, July 8th and Saturday, July 9th in the Gallery and Canada Games Plaza. BMO Community Art Days will feature family-friendly art activities, performances, and food trucks. With a theme of Unity in the Community, BMO Community Art Days, Friday, July 8th and Saturday, July 9th at Two Rivers Art Gallery 
and Canada Games Plaza. Forecast from Environment Canada. A mix of sun and cloud today. Wind from the northeast at 20, gusting to 40, starting this afternoon with a 30% chance of showers and the risk of a thunderstorm. A high of 30 with a high UV index. Tonight, partly cloudy, gusting northeast winds continuing, a low of 12. Cloudy again on Tuesday, a 40% chance of showers late in the morning. A showers in the afternoon, more gusting northeast winds and a high of 23. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. Uh, Patrick Oliver, David Douglas Botanical Botanical Garden Expansion Project. <clears throat> we're going to get into uh, some of the research facilities that are going to be built out there in conjunction with this garden, but uh, I just want people to sort of reflect on you know, some of the problems that we face here in the north in trying to get these projects off the ground. And, uh, you know, I think we have to work a little bit harder to get the same results as they do in the southern climbs. And, of course, it's going to cost us more money. And, and we need good people in the right places to see that these things are handled properly. And, uh, and of course, they need everybody's support. And there is... Uh, and we'll get into it before uh, Patrick goes the uh, how people can make donations and the amount of money that they'll be looking for. But uh, maybe for now, if you just want to get into the uh, research end of it. Yeah, thanks, uh, Eric. Um, you know, one of the major components of a, a fully-fledged botanical garden is, is research, uh, horticultural research, um, uh, agronomy, these, these, these kinds of areas that... Uh, um, are interesting. It, it, when I first came to, uh, to to Prince George in 1990, they just shut down the agricultural research station up at the airport there, mm. and I couldn't understand what they were doing. Why why would you shut down a research station? And I figured, well, maybe they know everything that there is to know about growing crops, or yeah. but they don't. And uh, so a big com- uh, a big area of the garden is will be set aside for um, research plots. So the idea then being to to stimulate some interest uh, in the faculty up at the university to do research in uh, in in horticultural type of uh, projects. You, if you think about it, uh, I was chatting to uh, Doug Bell down at the winery here, and you know, there he goes. I said, asked him, "Well, what do you be? Inter- would you? What would you be interested in?" And you know, well, he's got hascap bushes that he wants to a bigger yield of crop on them. So that is that, that's that automatically is an, an area that one could start to look at and research um, if if it was uh, of interest to. Um, to industry, and obviously it is. Um, the other um, areas around research are, you know, it, you can, it can be a lot, a lot broader. Um, there is a, a lot of interest up at the university in pollinators uh, and that type of research, research, but not really any place to do it. Um, I mean, there are areas that one can go to and, and, and do that kind of research, but if you had these plots and, 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 and better control of, 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 of the areas, a broader area for pollinators to, to operate, then, well, <laughs> then we could be doing that research. Unfortunately, the university doesn't have a, a horticultural faculty, um, 
and hopefully over time, you know, that there will be more of an interest in that. I mean, certainly there is, uh, if, you, if you tune into the agricultural um, people in, in this part of the world, uh, you know, they're all pushing for, for, for some additional work in that, in, the, in that area. So research will take up one axis of the garden. It's it 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 uh, um, it it's in a later phase of the development from where we are. Our primary f- um, focus on this this phase of of the project is uh, what along uh, uh, the, the primary axis, which we call the uh, an axial walkway uh, in our design. So it'll be a fairly uh, level area um, with some trellises and things like that, ending at a focal point that kind of overlooks the the lower lying area, uh, which would then be uh, that marshy area with where Shane Creek comes through, and that would be uh, developed into some kind of wetland area. So, idea there being to attract in wildlife, birds, bird life. I mean, if you go up to the education display garden, even now there's a lot of bird life in that little patch. Um, and mm-hmm. we, we we see that that would come into the into the into our into the main garden itself in, into the expanded garden. Um, so those th- th- those are areas that 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 we is one area that we we like to focus on. But you know what are gardens? I mean, particularly in this COVID area era, um, you know. R- Respite, res- respite. Um, you know, a place to go, to be quiet, to be with nature, to be, to stimulate your senses—not just hearing, but smell and taste and and you know everything. All five senses are activated in the garden. Um, so, and that in itself, and if we make it a destination, as we said, we, we can put features in there like a maze and a children's garden, a butterfly garden. These. These are concepts that that would attract are attractive to people so that you could come and enjoy and uh, but it takes a while to get there yeah, it certainly does <clears throat> and I'm thinking you know what we have here in uh, in uh, north central British Columbia right now like we're in some pretty bad situations for different reasons but you know, if you look at Prince Rupert, they have the port and the export, and even though they've done a lot of stuff there, they haven't really grown. Kinemat's basically the same way, another port, export, and uh, then we have the pipelines coming through in the railway. But they, you know, with uh, all the area in between there right now is just a big, dark hole, and there's not much light shining on it. And we really got to get off our butts and start doing something to keep this part of the country viable for the future. And something like this garden is a, is a perfect opportunity. Like, that could be, uh, you know, a real destination place. It could be a real standout place. It could be a show place to show that what you can do here. And, and you know, I've been thinking some places like... Uh, Hazelton and these areas where it's actually good growing areas, mm-hmm. but probably not <clears throat> used anywhere near what they should be. But I think that's where our future lies, is doing something other than just logging and uh, and mining. And uh, <clears throat> so this is where we have an opportunity to do something, but not, you know, just 
a little bit here and a little bit there. It's time that we took the bull by the horns and did it right. Dug into our, for some of us, wallets, let the moths out and get bring some money out and start making a donation and make this thing happen. Keeping in mind that it creates jobs, creates tourism, generates revenue, brings people to the country. They bring other people to the country to look around. We have a great country here. It's not very well advertised, I don't think. And sometimes you think maybe that's not a bad thing, but I think those days are gone. Uh, we got the lakes, we got the forests, we got the, you know, I think in that, that place up on the, they were talking about now, like, I'm thinking of current bushes, I'm thinking of, uh, uh, I got a few in my garden there, uh, can't think of them right now, but anyway, it took me a long time to grow them. <laughs> and, and we need uh, more of that. I, and of course the raspberries, the strawberries, blueberries, huckleberries, and, uh, Hazelnuts. Hazelnuts grow all over this country, but try to find a hazelnut bush. <laughs> I was born here, so I know where they are, but a lot of people don't. And uh, I remember once in McBride, I found some, I just absolutely couldn't believe how big they were, just between Penny and McBride on mm-hmm. a little back road. Farmer had planted them years ago, and so there's lots of opportunities there, and the people that know that stuff and can plant it, um, just unlimited possibilities. So, we're going to get into the donations and the money that we, or people will be looking for. Like, Patrick's got about a minute to touch on that. Well, just before, I'd be remiss not not to have uh, mentioned our, our discussions with uh, the likely Tene nation um, around the gardens. And when you touched on all of those indigenous plants, um, we are working with them and uh, to try to extract from them what 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 are their values because they they you know in ethnobotany there are there's a lot we can learn from from the first nations and uh, so one part of the design is to set aside an indigenous garden and uh, we hope to go after the federal government for that funding um, if 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 we can uh, it, it kind of Together with Lately Tene, we, we've agreed that we will jointly um, seek some funding in that area. And so that uh, I, I look forward to, to that, uh, being in touch with our local MLAs, our MPs, sorry. And they're, and they're, they're on board and, and, and would like to support us in, in, in making sure that we can get that uh, a level of funding that would support the development of an indigenous garden, but indigenous being a, a cultural uh, focus. Yeah. So the you know our our our, our 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 main focus right now is on our capital uh, uh, funds fundraising effort to, to try to get uh, um, as much as we can in in that area. But as I've said as I said earlier, there's there's two other areas: is our sustaining uh, education display garden um, funding that we need to keep that piece um, running until we get the whole thing. Um, operating, and then of course our our operating um, opportunity or uh, operating fund uh, through the community foundation, Prince George Community Foundation, to uh, provide us with sustainable funding over you know every year at least something that'll top top up the the revenues from from the other from other sources. So for people who want to look to see uh, how they can donate, just through that 
Yeah, if you just go to the uh, David Douglas Botanical Garden website, which is www.ddbotgarden.bc.ca, or just Google uh, David Douglas Botanical Garden, and 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 you'll get to the to the website. Yeah, they'll walk you right through it. So I want to thank. Uh, Patrick for coming today and giving us this overview of what's going on. I hope to have him back later on uh, and we can show that we're making some progress and uh, we'll go to break now. Thanks. Theatre Northwest has done a full reboot of their summer sewing camps. Beginners camps are July 4th to 8th, July 11th to 15th, and July 25th to 29th, and two young children's camps run August 2nd to 5th. Full details on these and other camps are available through the tickets link at theaternorthwest.com. Summer sewing camps at Theatre Northwest in the Park Hill Center. Register today through the tickets link at theaternorthwest.com or at Theatre Northwest in the Park Hill Center. Advocate Life and Education Services is hiring a site manager's assistant for their Prince George location. The ideal candidate has experience in counseling, strong administrative abilities, a heart for women and children, and is enthusiastic about their cause. Access the full job description and application information through the career segment on the Get Involved page at advocate.ca. Application deadline for the site manager's assistant position at Advocate Life and Education Services Prince George location is Friday, July 15th. The BC Schizophrenia Society has produced an educational video containing information and tips for young people on how to communicate with a loved one with a serious mental illness. Whether you're talking to someone with schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, depression, or any other mental illness, effective communication and connection is important. To view the new video, Communication Tips for Youth Who Have a Loved One with Mental Illness, search for BC Schizophrenia Society Communication at youtube.com. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back with Peter online. We're going to talk about, uh, I guess it's inflation, is it, Peter? Yeah, yeah, no, the inflation that uh, everyone's experiencing now, for sure. Just, uh, are you going to try to get a hold of her, Peter? Oh, I will, once you get it. Okay, yeah, I'm just, I hope he's in town. Okay, uh, Peter, are you ready to go on the inflation thing? Yep. Okay, away you go. Uh, okay. Um, well, yeah. Like the, as everyone knows, uh, inflation is uh, is everywhere, right? Uh, we're facing a 39-year high in terms of inflation, 7.7, you know, percent uh, inflation by uh, latest figures. Uh, in some sections of uh, of goods and services, uh, the inflation rate is even much higher than that. You know, you're looking at gasoline, for example, and all that, which has gone up. Okay, 50%. Uh, or so. um, but um, in terms of uh, what's going on with the economy uh, here, the, um, you know, like w- we have a, a situation whereby the, uh, the elites that run things, the economics of the banks, the big corporations and all that, they generally prefer an inflation rate of about 2% a year. Uh, of course, it's going up much higher than that, so then the the, the thing, the issue becomes, you know, what are they going to do about it in their own interest? And one of the things that um, is being talked about is, uh, you know, possibly throwing the uh, economy into, uh, into a, some kind of depress- recession. And, uh, you know, like you, you have, for example, former U.S. Treasury Secretary, Secretary Larry Summers, 
uh, his solution to inflation is, uh, you know, to jack up unemployment for, you know, in terms of a recession uh, over 5% for five years. Or, or another solution is to jack up unemployment 10% for, for over a year or so. Of course, what this means is that the problem is of inflation is, is, and, uh, and a possible recession is going to be sorted out on the backs of, of working people and senior citizens and so on in the, of the population. You know, so we have a situation here which, which is not good for the, the people. We lose under uh, inflation, and we also lose if they throw the economy into a recession. You know, like we have, you know, like you could say that we have an economy that is uh, uh, a socialized economy in the sense that it's interconnected and it's interdependent and, and so on, you know, where people are, you know, uh, working together in all sorts of different ways and we're all connected. But the private ownership of the main sections of the economy is uh, dominated by very rich global oligarchs. And uh, they're the ones who are making the decision about what's happening, and that's a problem because uh, uh, they operate in their interests, their global oligarchic interests, but uh, they don't operate in the interests of uh, ordinary people. You know, we're trying to, you know, put food on the table and and, and make a make a living. You know, so we have this uh, this this problem that uh, is goes on, right? Uh, you know, like we know right now, for example, that uh, there's no credible reason for prices to be raised so high so fast. You know, like look at the, the, the price of gasoline. You know, the, the cost of making the, the um, gasoline and all this, manufacturing it, etc., refining it, it, it has, it's not gone up 50%. What's happened is that you have these big companies simply using the opportunity of, uh, you know, they, they blame it on Putin, the war in Ukraine, or they blame it on the COVID thing, to, to jack up prices, you know, fantastically high. And um, as a result, uh, the p- people suffer, and a lot of people are um, on the edge as a result. And, and, and you also have a situation where, uh, whereby uh, there's a whole generation of people who's never experienced this kind of hyperinflation. You know, the, because the last time it uh, happened was, um, you know, 39 years ago or whatever. But uh, they're getting hit hard by this, you know, young people and, and, and so on. So um, we're in a situation whereby we're, we're sort of lurching from crisis to crisis. And uh, the question comes up, what do we do about this, you know? Well, that is a question. Uh, do you have an answer? Well, I think for one, the critical thing is is that uh, we have to shift power from the globalized elite who have no allegiance to any particular country and only allegiance to their own profit margins. We have to shift the, the, the power from that to, to, to the, the people of uh, countries like Canada. And, um, you know, that means rest- being able to restrict what these companies do. Like right now, they operate like pirates. You know, like, may I just bust in there for a sec, Peter? You know, it wasn't that long ago. I haven't looked it up or something, but you know, we had uh, uh, private companies, limited companies, corporations, that type of thing. And they operated uh, basically; they were taxed on their profits. 
more money they made, the more tax they paid. So this drove them to reinvest their money into uh, new projects and to expand their corporations and to create new jobs. And it worked well for years and years and years and years. So if you had a situation where you're making too much money, you start another company or you diversify or whatever. There was never anything wrong with that model. Actually, the pulp mills in Prince George originally started with that type of a model as privately owned uh, limited companies, and uh, and it worked fine. But now, somewhere along the line, we went to these uh, publicly traded companies that are basically all run by the stock market. People are paid... Uh, a lot of them through stock options, and they have a very simple philosophy, maximum profit, minimum cost. They reduce jobs just as fast and as uh, often as they can, and uh, so that's the other one that's out there, and uh, so they can do it basically, like you said, whatever they want. So simple answer is to go back to the old system. We're going to take a break right now, and then we'll be back. The B.C. Summer Games are July 21st to 24th in Prince George, and close to 3,000 volunteers are needed as we host athletes from across the province. There are many different positions available, requiring a variety of skills and or physical strength. Registration and more details are available at bcgames.org slash volunteers, or stop by the Summer Games tent at your local Save on Foods this Thursday between 10.30 and 6.30. The B.C. Summer Games, July 21st to 24th, right here in Prince George. After a two-year absence, Canada Day in the Park is back for 2022. All the traditional favorites are returning. Entertainment, Kids Zone, Artisans and Crafters Market, and Fireworks. Spots are still available for sponsors and vendors and can be booked by emailing canadadaypg at gmail.com. Potential artists, musicians, entertainers, cultural performers, and food vendors should email kyle at kylesampson.ca. Canada Day in the Park, Friday from 11 to 9 at Clayton Memorial. Park. Join Rita Leisner for a screening of her award-winning documentary, Force for the Trees, Friday, July 15th at CNC. The documentary covers the four years of work Leisner endured with a community of tree planters, covering the bands of planting and documenting the tree planters themselves, culminating in the art exhibition, The Tree Planters. Advanced tickets for the screening are available through Two Rivers Gallery. Rita Leisner's award-winning documentary, Force for the Trees, 7.30 Friday, July 15th at CNC. Minds in Motion is a fitness and social program provided for people experiencing early symptoms of dementia and their care partners. Each fitness session is followed by social time, an opportunity to connect with others living with dementia. An in-person series is available in Prince George on Tuesday mornings through the end of June at the YMCA of Northern BC. To register or for more information, contact the Prince George Resource Center at 250-564-7533 or email info.princegeorge at alzheimerbc.org. Forecast from Environment Canada. A mix of sun and cloud today. Wind from the northeast at 20 gusting to 40 starting this afternoon with a 30% chance of showers and the risk of a thunderstorm. A high of 30 with a high UV index. Tonight partly cloudy. Gusting northeast winds continuing. A low of 12. Cloudy again on Tuesday. A 40% chance of showers late in the morning. A showers in the afternoon. More gusting northeast winds and a high of 23. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. Peter, I think I'm just going to go to Herb for now, see if he wants to make a few comments on this inflation thing, and then we'll uh, take it from there. Are you, are you there, Herb? Yeah, yeah. The, um, uh, 
interesting thing about the last couple of years is how well the corporations have done. So uh, in the U.S., uh, they basically 2021 was the most profitable year since 1950 for American corporations. Uh, the their profits surged 35 percent uh, year over year from 2021 to back over from uh, 2020, and um, uh, I mean it's just it, staggering profits really. And, you know, it sort of, it shows, um, you know, really that uh, corporations are in the driver's seat right now. And, uh, you know, uh, governments have to start looking at you know, some trust busting, um, increased regulation, and increased taxes. Uh, this is something that, uh, this, you know, basically, the, you know, corporations are in the driver's seat. And um, no one seems to want to um, take them on at all. Uh, it's not good for our society, and um, uh, I, I think you know quite possibly if we look at the um, some of this inflation, it's uh, because of market concentrations, and these corporations have an inordinate amount of control over uh, pricing. And um, uh, you can, I think, a lot of this inflation can be traced back to uh, the market power that they do have. So that's that's one solution, uh, basically. Uh, bust them up or tax them more, and um, uh, that's something that the governments have to start looking at. Okay, Peter, you got some more on that before we go to uh, our Royal Museum? Uh, well, yeah, like, uh, you know, just to underline what, uh, what Herb was saying there, right? You know, when we look at the uh, meatpacking and food processing industry, uh, you know, like you have farmers and ranchers, who are, uh, you know, raising cattle and so on? They're not doing well. They're getting, uh, they're getting screwed. Workers in the meat packing and food processing industry, their also wages are way down. And wages are stagnating. And then there's the people who buy food, you know, and going to the, the grocery store and having to pay high, these high prices. But in the middle of it, of course, are these big um, meat packing cartels. You know that uh, dominate the whole industry. They're the ones who uh, impose low prices on farmers and ranchers, they low wages on the workers, and high prices for for the consumers. So everyone's getting screwed except them. And so the, 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 that's what the critical thing comes down: is what is to be done. We can't go on this way, where uh, a handful of global oligarchs are basically dictating the whole way that the economy and the whether it's uh, in, a, in our country or whether it's in the world as a whole, where it's going. Well, you'd think with uh, you know, all the governments that we have around the world, in Canada we've got four or five different uh, levels of government, that somebody would be able to get an idea what we should do about this. But uh, I'm not hearing too much. So here's just a little aside that I read. Um, since the year 2000, the average house price in Canada tripled. Okay, you got that? Triple since the year 2000. By contrast, in the United States, it went up 60%. Now, how do you explain that? I mean, the American, uh, you would think that they would kind of go up simultaneously. But they haven't. In Canada, they went up, they actually tripled, and then only went up 60% in the U.S. So they're doing something different than we are. Anybody got an idea what that might be? Well, I mean, everything in Prince George seems to be uh, designed to uh, limit uh, the new building. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of regulation, 
a lot of land that's tied up. Uh, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, really, the cost of construction of a new house in, in, in Prince George, for instance. Uh, there's there's got to be ways uh, to, uh, to lower those entry barriers. Uh, there's got to be ways for the city to encourage um, uh, lower-cost housing, uh, either by investing directly into public housing uh, or by making uh, land available. And um, there's, there's no shortage of it around here. Uh, but uh, that's uh, there seems to be um, uh, a steady emphasis on uh, infilling the city downtown uh, and and the and the bowl area. Um, you know, the city actually put a put a kibosh on some uh, apartment development up in the uh, heart. Um, so there's you know it, it seems it seems counterproductive and. Um, uh, definitely, maybe a new uh, a new administration in, in City Hall uh, come this fall might uh, be able to change things around. Well, it's possible. Anything's possible. But, uh, <laughs> you know, if, if what's happened in the past is any indication, I don't think that's going to happen. We're going to take a break now, and then we'll be back. Explore practices that support the successful engagement of skilled volunteers Wednesday through Vantage Point. With engaging skilled volunteers, you'll learn how to plan for, attract, and engage skilled volunteers or knowledge philanthropists in your work. Registration and full details are available through the calendar link under training at thevantagepoint.ca. Connect with the abundance of talent in your community. Engaging skilled volunteers Wednesday from 9 to noon through thevantagepoint.ca. Explore tools for creating a culture that actively embraces a spectrum of voices and lived experiences with Vantage Point's Board Fundamentals, Board Diversity and Inclusion. This three-hour workshop will help not-for-profit board members and executive directors learn key concepts and strategies for creating board diversity. Registration and full details are available through the calendar link under training at vantagepoint.ca. Board Fundamentals, Diversity and Inclusion, Tuesday evening from 5.30 to 8.30 via Zoom. Health Canada reminds you to enjoy the return of warm weather and outdoor activities safely by preventing tick bites that can cause Lyme disease and other infections. Take the following precautions when outside. Tuck your shirt into your pants and pull your socks over your pant legs. Use bug spray containing DEET or Icaridine and stick to cleared paths and walkways. Examine your whole body for ticks when you get back home and don't forget to check your pets. For more information, visit the Health Canada webpage, canada.ca slash Lyme disease. On July 5th, Vantage Point presents Board Fundamentals, Critical Role of the Board Chair. In this three-hour evening workshop, current or incoming board chairs will learn key strategies to engage their board in achieving the organizational mission by fully understanding the board chair role, moving towards a governance model, and generating ideas for a leadership action plan. Registration and full details are available through the calendar link under training at the Vantage Point.ca. Board Fundamentals, Critical Role of the Board Chair, Tuesday, July 5th from 5.30 to 8.30 via Zoom. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back and uh, on this inflation thing. I think we should just all keep in mind that if we don't do something about inflation, uh, it'll take care of itself. We'll end up uh, with high interest rates and we'll end up with uh, a recession. And that's what happens. It happens all the time throughout history. So, you know, the uh, 
this mortgage broker guy by the name of Ron Butler quipped it. We're into what he now calls a, a fear of missing out or FOMO. And uh, that's given way to a fear of getting screwed. So people are in a situation now that, you know, they were buying houses so they wouldn't miss out. Now they, they don't want to have a house because they might get stuck with it. And once that starts, things can really, really get bad, and it can get bad pretty fast. So, uh, you know, some of the, the uh, people who have good, strong unions and that can negotiate for higher uh, wages to cover their costs because of inflation, but not everybody can do that. So we got a bad situation here. But I think we'll let the... Uh, inflationary one go for now and, and I just want to get a few comments on the uh, uh, NDP government cancels the controversial 789 million Royal BC Museum rebuild. Peter, do you want to start on that? Yeah, yeah the uh, provincial government came out and uh, you know basically is not really cancelled but you know, they put off the whole this whole question of the uh, building a new Royal BC Museum and, and, and so on. And, uh, you know, I, I think it was uh, a move on their part, a, a calculated move to, uh, you know, sort of head off a, a, a crisis in terms of uh, uh, public perception of, of what the government was doing, right, in the sense that the provincial government does not appear to have, uh, you know, put in place and got the support did the consultation and, and all that uh, is involved with in terms of preparing conditions for pe- people to accept this $789 million thing, especially at a time when, uh, you know, like they talk about the, 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 one of the reasons why they need a new uh, museum was uh, the seismic uh, upgrade, the, the, the seismically the building was unsafe. But, uh, you know, then, you know, what comes up, of course, people raised immediately, what about the 250 hospital or uh, schools across the province that uh, need, also need seismic upgrades? You know, why is a museum at this time getting priority over, you know, the kids in schools, right? Exactly. And, uh, you know, so, you know, the, this was a move by the government to shut this thing down because, uh, in my opinion, if they had continued on with it the way they were going, they could have, could have ended up in the, with, with what happened in the 1990s with the, the fast ferry fiasco, you know, which was a, a, a big um, point for the BC Liberals at the time to hammer away at the NDP, which uh, had uh, built these fast ferries. You know. Okay. <clears throat> Herb, you got something to say on that? Yeah, I think it was a good move on Horgan's part to, to back down. It was immensely unpopular decision. Uh, or announcement that uh, this is going to cost uh, close to a billion dollars. Uh, and um, I think uh, largely overlooked was the um, the plan was uh, called for the museum to be closed for eight years while they rebuilt it. And so um didn't really seem to make much sense. So as it stands, it's going to be, um, uh, it's going to be kept open and, um, uh, at, at the very least, they'll do some some minor renovations to keep it, to keep, keep it uh, ongoing. Uh, and but they're all, I think more importantly, they're looking for new ideas. And I mean, the vast majority of its collections are not displayed. So there there are opportunities there for maybe new technologies like um, uh, maybe holograms or d- digital access. Uh, you know, maybe we don't need a. Um, uh, 
a huge building anymore. It may be, um, you know, uh, uh, opening up uh, digital access to uh, more of the museum's um, assets and, and holdings would be beneficial. There's also talk of um, returning more of the um, uh, more controversial uh, museum collections back to uh, the original owners, the uh, native communities. And, um, I mean, that, that could be a, very well be a great thing. Uh, maybe have small, smaller, more regional uh, displays uh, all around the province rather than have it down in Victoria. So I think there's, there's an opportunity here for a lot more thinking and maybe some more, more creative solutions than uh, what was originally um, uh, envisaged. And uh, I, I think it's uh, all in all, I think it's a good, good time out for everybody to, to uh, take a look at, at the problem and to, and to come up with uh, new and better and cheaper, perhaps even solutions. Do you think uh, using that digital, that's quite an idea, a digital museum, do you think we may be able to get uh, digital holidays so you could stay home in your kitchen having bacon and eggs and make a holiday uh, anywhere in the world? <laughs> or would you actually like to go physically? Uh, well, you, I think you, you, we can afford to have a, a proper museum. I just think in this instance, they got the cart uh, before the horse or the horse before the cart or whatever. Found out that they're like Peter said, it was not a good election issue, and uh, now they're backing away from it. But you know, it's okay to admit you made a mistake. But but the, part of what goes along with that is you admitted you made a mistake. So now we have to question the thinking that went behind making that decision, and that lays at the feet of the NDP and uh, Mr. Horgan himself. He's the guy that uh, thought this was the greatest thing since sliced bread, and all of a sudden. He changed his mind. So it reminds me of Site C. Uh, you know, he was going to get rid of Site C, but I noticed they're just going full steam ahead. Same with uh, LNG. So maybe we got a waffle premier. So anybody want to make some more comments on that? Uh, well, I, you know, I was going to say just uh, Kevin Falcon, uh, you know, was looking forward to this, this whole uh, procedure because it, uh, it gave him lots, lots of opportunities to criticize the premier and, and the NDP. But here, here's an opportunity for him to actually come up with some uh, creative alternatives. So instead of just being a, uh, uh, an opposition voice, uh, maybe, let's, let's see what Kevin Falcon can come up with. I'd like, uh, I'd like to, to see, what, uh, see what solutions he can, he can put forward. I agree. In the sense that uh, museums are an important part of uh, cultural infrastructure for a province and for a country, right? You know, so... It's not to diminish uh, the, the, the need for, for proper museums. The whole issue is that they, they need a, a strategy that uh, uh, people can buy into. And, um, you know, the, the previous thing there was a, was a big mistake, right, in terms of they, they didn't do the, the, the prep, they didn't do the public relations, they didn't do the consultation properly, obviously. Okay, we're just about at the end of the line here, so... Uh... <clears throat> Pardon me. We're going to wrap it up, and uh, we'll be back. Well, Herb will be uh, cheering next Monday. I don't know who his guest is going to be, but uh, let him worry about that. And uh, so we'll talk to you later. Bye bye.
After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Echo Wiley, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 on the FM dial. CFIS-FM is owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society.